The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good day, everyone. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. This is your Tuesday, August 10th edition, and I am your host, Dan Bespris. Thanks for tuning in, friends. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. And of course, this, as all episodes of Fantasy NBA Today, are a hoop ball. Is a hoop ball presentation? I lost track of if I was going singular or plural on that discussion. Hoopball is hoop-ball.com, at hoopballfantasy on Twitter, or at hoopballtweets, although we are transitioning hard right now back into the hoopball fantasy portion of the proceedings. It is ramp-up time. We're about two months and a week or so away from the start of the NBA season, which means we are just really a couple of weeks from draft season which I know for me starts about two months before the season begins. That's when you really begin to dig in. That's when you start to do mock drafts. You can begin to track ADP shifts and things of that nature. But for now, we continue to plow through our team-by-team analysis. We already did the Knicks, actually, last week in the Atlantic Division, so we don't need to redo them, which leaves us four remaining teams. And today, we'll just go ahead and finish up New York with the Brooklyn Nets. We haven't had a team. This is the worst way to start a show, by the way, in podcast history. We haven't had a team this uninteresting from a fantasy perspective that we've talked about on this podcast, probably since the LA teams. And with Kawhi Leonard out for most of the season, it isn't even both of them this year. It's only one of the two LA teams. Lakers are boring. Uh, although they did have the Russell Westbrook trade, which makes it at least that there's one additional player on that team that will have fantasy value. I mean, they're, they're all going to take a hit because of each other, but uh, at least something happened. With Brooklyn, nothing happened. Everything you saw last year is what you're going to see this coming season. They are cash-strapped, to say the least. They can afford, basically at this point, only to give out veteran minimum contracts. I think they use their... Uh, exception on Patty Mills, if I'm not mistaken. I might be getting that contractual stuff a little bit jumbled up because that's not exactly my area of expertise. But suffice it to say that the Brooklyn Nets are a pretty damn predictable fantasy team. You've got the folks at the top and the folks at the bottom. The Nets this last year had three of the top eight per game, nine category players in fantasy. They had Joe Harris, who was number 96, and they didn't have anybody else inside the top 160. Despite what you may have heard across the fantasy landscape about guys with upside and things of that nature, none of those dudes could actually sustain it for more than a couple of games at a time. I think it's probably easiest in our breakdown today, which, by the way, I'll admit to you, if this show hits a half an hour, it'll be a big surprise to me because I don't think we have a ton to talk about on these dudes, but I do think we need to talk a bit about the superstars individually, because each of them poses their own special risk to your fantasy team, particularly when you think about when they're going to be going in a fantasy draft. But let's start with the guys at the bottom. 
The guys at the bottom that remained for this season, Blake Griffin is back, and uh, he was number 198 this last year. Nick Claxton is kind of their only youth on the team. Uh, He's around because he's actually just under contract. They didn't have to sign him again. Claxton's got that nice per 36, but... Uh, friend of the people, DeAndre Jordan, who got himself that big old contract that was not even remotely close to deserved. Uh, he's around for two more seasons as well and just getting older by the day. Each of those guys had their moments. DeAndre Jordan shot 76% from the field this year, and there were weeks actually where that was useful. I threw him on my fantasy team in a couple of spots when Kevin Durant was out and Claxton, I think, it was on the COVID protocol or was he actually injured and Blake Griffin was not quite healthy enough to play yet there was like a two-week span in there I think Jeff Green might have been hurt also where Jordan was getting 24-25 center minutes and it wasn't enough for sustained fantasy value but it was like eight points and nine rebounds with a block and crazy high field goal percent without really hurting you he's a terrible foul shooter but he doesn't take many of them so there was sort of individual game specialist appeal with DeAndre Jordan but over the season he was near the top 200 Yes, what you heard there was my child asking me to join him for a round of shadow puppets. But I'm back. Fear not. I like to play the game, uh, can you guys figure out where the childcare breaks occur in, uh, in Fantasy NBA today? Because they're almost every single episode. Uh, DeAndre Jordan is where we left off. He's not going to be worth a fantasy look for the entire season. Nor is Blake Griffin, who, by the way, to Blake's credit... He fit in pretty darn well. He had some games where he also was approaching fantasy value, but he's a guy who has bad percentages. Like we talked about a bunch on yesterday's show, you you can't you can't be a bad percentages guy and not have a ton of usage. And if you think he's going to get enough usage on this team, I have a bridge that it's for sale. Would you like to come look at it? Bruce Brown was the closest any of the others on this Nets team got to fantasy value last year, and that was only because guys were out for a significant amount of time, so you guys weren't about to take the plunge on him either. Nick Claxton would probably be the one guy that might get a little bit of hype during fantasy draft season because he has the most intriguing per 36s among the centers. And admittedly, if he got starters minutes, he would be a fantasy value. He played only 18 and a half minutes a game last year, but in the games where he saw enough minutes to make a difference, he was pretty good. Really high field goal percent. Not quite as high as DeAndre Jordan, but pretty damn high. Uh, Free throw number that stunk, very similar to DeAndre Jordan. Actually worse, he was 48% from the free throw line. But... 1.3 1.3 blocks in only his 18 and a half minutes per ball game. What I like to do with players like Nick Claxton is find their game log and see if you can locate ball games where they got, say, 24 or more minutes per game. And unfortunately with Claxton, that number is extraordinarily low. Number of times this year that Claxton played 24 minutes in a basketball game can be counted on one hand. He did it on March the 26th, played 25 and a half minutes, had three points, seven rebounds, and a block. 
Uh, he had 26 minutes on March 21st. That was against Washington. That was a better ball game. 16 points, only three rebounds, but three blocks. It's just not, it's not there. It's not there. He's not going to get enough touches. And I know he can do it with the blocking and the rebounding. But his terrible free, free, uh, excuse me, free throw percent, combined with the fact that he's not necessarily even going to see more than about five shots per game if he was out there for a while, means it's just not meant to be. He got closer uh, right at the tail end of the regular season. They cut him loose a little bit. And he actually did have a small role in the Nets' playoff run, but not sufficient. And therefore, unless you somehow thought DeAndre Jordan was just going to basically be retired this year, and I don't think that's going to be the case, or if you thought Blake Griffin, maybe if he doesn't, if he didn't come back, there's these other these avenues that could have gotten us to the right point the 25-minute point with Claxton, but they're just not there. At least for now, they've been closed off. And I don't think this team that has championship aspirations is going to want to go with the ultra-youth movement of a guy that does sort of miss assignments and is still kind of learning, and that's fine because he's super-duper young, but that's not really what the Nets are shooting for right now. He'll have those intermittent games where he explodes for, and I say explode, I use it somewhat loosely, for like 12 points, 9 rebounds, and 3 blocks. It'll be a good game individually, and it might even jumpstart him into a good week. But we're talking about a season going into Fantasy Draft Day. It's not there. Which, of course, all of that hemming and hawing here, 8 minutes of chatter about the non-superstars and Joe Harris on this team to say, there's no one in that group. That needs your attention in a normal 12 or probably even 14 team fantasy draft. But what about the upper guys? Well, let's look first at Joe Harris, who had, by all accounts, an extraordinarily efficient season. 14 points, 3.5 boards, 2 assists, 3 three-pointers a game on over 50% from the field. Somehow only 78% at the free throw line. I could not, for the life of me, explain how that could possibly be the case. But that's actually Joe Harris. He's a 78% foul shooter in his career. And a 44%er from downtown, including 47.5% from three this year. This season was as good as it gets for Joe. You know, I was very much a proponent of Joe Harris this year. He had a great year. Uh, his teammates missed a crap ton of basketball games. Kevin Durant played only 35 games, Harden only 44, Kyrie only 54 out of 72 games. So Joe Harris constantly had one of the superstars out of his way, or more than one, and that allowed him to get to 10 shots per game. When this team is fully healthy, which presumably they will be going into the start of the year, and that's the way we need to handicap this a little bit, Harris isn't going to get 10 shots per game. He's going to get 8 shots per game, and for a guy who relies on his high field goal percent, number of three-pointers to float his fantasy value, if you take any of that away, you're screwed. Looking at how the season progressed for Joe Harris is a perfect way to handicap his year. Also, he kind of needs to shoot 50% for any of it to add up right. Let's say he even gets to 10 shots per game. This is still a best-case scenario because he's not going to shoot better than 51% when most of his field goal attempts are coming from downtown. 
Does that mean that he's someone you should ignore in fantasy? In Roto, I think the answer is probably yeah. I don't think you need Joe Harris on your Roto team. There is no upside with him. The upside is 100% baked into whether or not Kyrie Harden or Durant gets seriously injured at any point this year. That's the only upside. His current, and maybe I'm misusing that word a little bit, that's his only room for fantasy growth is a usage bump when a superstar is out. His, the upside, which is the proper way to use the word, I think, here, the upside of Joe Harris exists almost exclusively in the head-to-head realm. Because on a week-to-week basis, he could win you three-pointers. We saw weeks this year, basically the month of January, uh, excuse me, February and months of January and February, where he was averaging more like four three-pointers a game. And he had a week in there where he went like, seven, eight, five, six, three-pointers. So he'll have those weeks where he puts up 20 to 25 threes in four ball games, And that's sweet. That's great. That's super awesome for your head-to-head team. And in Roto, it's fine. But, you know, with the games cap and everybody's adding up together, it's a drop in the bucket over an entire season, over, you know, 800, 900 games that your Roto team is accounting for. 23s is something but it's not significant go back and look at your the teams that won three pointers in your league generally not saying this is the case for everybody but generally 20 extra three pointers at the end of the year isn't going to change things all that much the way that like 20 extra blocks probably would make a massive difference in your roto schedule And that's Joe Harris versus nobody, not Joe Harris versus replacement player. There it's probably like an extra, you know, 12 three-pointers or something like that. But there's a lot of them. You know, teams that win blocks in Roto Leagues have about 500 at the end of the year. Uh, Well, it was a 72-game season, I guess. Teams that won three-pointers this last year had like 1,500. It's a pretty big difference. 1,300, something like that. So what what do you do with Joe Harris, I guess is the question. You've heard me just wax and wane about him this for three extra minutes here. I think he's a guy you draft in head-to-head. He's shown himself to be, this is important, the 10th category. He's damn durable. Missed three games this year, three games last year, six games the year before that, four games the year before that. Last four consecutive seasons where Joe Harris has been a starter... Uh, I guess he wasn't really a starter four years ago, but close enough. The last four years where he's been playing 25 minutes or more per season, he's missed single-digit games. He's played 90% of his team's games or more. This year, 95% of his team's games. And last year. Previous year, about 93%. That is fantasy useful. He was number 96 on a per-game basis this year. He was number 56 by totals. That's a much bigger deal in head-to-head than it is in Roto. As we've talked about a thousand times with the games cap, I'd rather deploy someone inside the top 75. I'd rather have a guy who's number 70 and plays in 60 games as opposed to the number 95 guy who plays in 69 games. I believe that we can fill out those missed games from the top 70 guy with someone close to the top 100 
And the difference there is substantial. You want the guys pushing the rock forward. Joe Harris is a guy that actually very slowly lets the rock roll backwards onto you in Games Cap Roto. But in head-to-head, where zeros are the thing that lets the boulder roll onto you, Joe Harris has been great. Durable, piling up three-pointers, and doing it without hurting your field goal percent. There is a, there is a real usefulness to that in head-to-head leagues. In Roto Games Cap, if you have pick number 100, you could target Joe Harris, who's probably going to be number 115 this year, and be super durable while doing it. Or, and this is the way I think we should probably lean, you should target someone you think has the ability to be a top 75 per game player, even if there are some question marks, some red flags involved. Joe Harris doesn't really have red flags. I think it's pretty easy to say, oh, this guy's going to take about nine and a half shots per game, maybe nine, depending on how injured or healthy his teammates are. Maybe he gets as close to 10. He's probably going to shoot in the high 40s from the field because this season felt a little bit anomalous in terms of the high side. He'll get you about 13 points, three boards, two assists, just under three threes, not a steal, very few blocks, and he'll be a top 120 guy who goes every single game. And now... The superstars. This is what you've been waiting for, I'm sure of it. Kyrie Irving was number three on a per-game basis this last year. James Harden was number seven. Kevin Durant was number eight. However, by totals, Kyrie was number six. Still very good. James Harden was number 40. Kevin Durant was number 84. Because you have to play in some damn basketball games if you want to hit fantasy value. And that wasn't quite as big of a deal if you were able to get them late. But these are not guys that go late. You can afford to have guys you draft in the 5th, 6th round miss some basketball games. You really cannot afford to have your 1st or 2nd round guys miss more than about 25% of their team's games. And Kyrie Irving was actually a good example of how to squeak through. He was someone that was getting drafted in the 20s, Possibly because of injury, possibly because there was the Kevin Durant's going to be healthy stuff this year, whatever it was, his value was driven into the tank, and he was a super easy pick at 20 in fantasy drafts this year because he's a guy who's had top 10 per game ability basically since he figured out the efficiency part of basketball, and he's become ridiculously efficient. 51% from the field, 92% at the free throw line. Which, by the way, I don't think is something that necessarily goes away because his teammates are so damn good. What likely does go away is his ability to get almost every shot when his teammates are hurt. I am of the opinion, and you kind of have to handicap all three of these guys at the same time. You almost can't go one at a time. I am of the opinion that Kevin Durant is probably not Well, I guess it depends where he goes. But if he goes in the top five, I don't think you can take him there. There's way too much risk. Kevin Durant will probably be this year's Kawhi Leonard. I'd be very surprised if he played in every ballgame. There's no reason to. This is a team that's going to have a very good record at the end of the year. They're going to be gunning for the playoffs. KD's probably going to sit, schedule-wise, at least a dozen ballgames. It's really hard to draft someone in the first round that you know 
is going to sit a dozen games without an injury. It's why Kawhi Leonard falls to the start of the second round every season, and every season he's beaten that mark. Now, this year's different because he's not playing for probably most of the season, maybe the entire year. I mean, it's really possible that Kawhi Leonard doesn't play this season. He's going to be a Clipper for a while, uh, but they're going to have to piecemeal it together this coming year. The Kevin Durant stuff, I get the feeling it's not tilted that same direction. Just from Kevin Durant in the Olympics, KD in the playoffs, the last thing everyone remembers seeing from KD is not an injury report. And that's almost always how it goes with Kawhi Leonard. The last thing anybody ever remembers about him is an injury report. Even though Durant was crazy banged up this year. He sat every back-to-back, except for the very last one, I believe. He missed countless games with different injuries. He missed 37, more than half of the year. And yet, he's so intensely good in such a spectacular way. In a way, really, and this is not as meant to slight, Kawhi Leonard, he's the machine. They, he's he's a, a robo-basketball player who just does everything quietly and and tears his opponents apart. Kevin Durant, he is a loud winner. Not in his voice, just in the way that he plays the game, raising up over people. He's a spectacle. His arms are 85 feet long. He's taller than everyone. He's more offensively skilled than everyone. He's a spectacle. Fantasy players, basketball enthusiasts, whoever, we all love the spectacle. We just watched KD dominate the world in the Olympics the last couple of weeks. This is what people are going to remember. I believe that KD is going to get drafted inside the top eight this year, and that's too early for me. If I'm drafting someone inside the top eight, I want someone who I think is going to get five schedule rest days or less, preferably zero. I don't know if that player exists anymore in the modern NBA, but preferably zero. James Harden, same general story. And don't worry, I'll loop all this back together into a a big bucket. Harden played 44 games this year. There's no way they push him. He played every damn game for Houston for so long. You knew that eventually the other shoe was going to drop. He's into his 30s now. We've seen seasons begin to take a toll a tiny bit. Still not much. He plays through stuff, but this is really kind of the first year that he wasn't right. Even last year, he missed a few games. It seemed like it was going to be more, and then he managed to push himself back. This team doesn't need him to push through every single thing. Plus, I'm going to try to be as tactful as I can about this, but James Harden was a little plush coming into this most recent basketball season. As you may recall... He spent his offseason kind of cooling, going to parties, not really staying in shape. It's, I mean, if you're 21, it's one thing to come in a tiny bit out of shape because you can just sort of shake it off. Remember what it was like to be in your 20s, friends? Well, Harden's in his 30s now, and it doesn't quite work that way. If he's coming into camp 20 pounds overweight, it's probably going to blow up his season. And it did. He was heavier this year. His body couldn't really take it. 
He's had time now. He's happy, presumably, on this Nets team. He's had time to get himself back into shape. I don't think we see the James Harden that plays in 95% of his team's games or more almost every season to his own detriment against the recommendation of his coaches and trainers. I think we see a James Harden that's a little bit more reasonable, that takes the rest days off. But I also think that this is a year where Harden might, for perhaps the first time in like eight years, be a very light fantasy value on draft days. He's not going first overall. That'll be Jokic or Steph. Maybe Harden still goes in the top three. I'm inclined to doubt it. He had a great year with Brooklyn. Put up those eye-popping assist totals. 11 assists a ball game. Uh, but he was actually out of shape this year. He wasn't He wasn't himself. He can be better than that. 82-game season, I think James Harden plays in about 70 to 72 of those 82 games maybe 68 to 72, somewhere in that window. I think he's probably uh, inside the top 10. I'd say there's actually a chance that he floats towards the top eight. I don't think he goes much higher than that with KD and Kyrie both healthy next to him because remember a lot of his games this year came without Kevin Durant, so he got a bunch of extra usage. That... I mean, it's fine. Like, all three of those guys will probably get in the 17-shot-per-game range. So, I don't know that Harden's role is going to diminish all that much, but it'll be at least a little bit because KD missed so much time this season. I would strongly consider taking James Harden at the back end of that first chunk of players. So, like, where I probably would be afraid, and this is weird to say because KD, on a per-game basis, I think this year probably has a higher ceiling than Harden. I'm terrified to take KD inside the top eight. I think he misses more like 20 games. I think Harden missing only a dozen allows me to look at him inside the top eight. And then Kyrie Irving is the really big question mark in this group. Not because we don't know what he's going to do, but because I don't have a clue where he's going to get drafted. I was floored, flabbergasted, blown away that he fell towards the end of the second round last year. Jimmy Butler did too. These are guys that on a per-game basis have consistently been in the first round. So to see them fall that far, there were other things attached to their names that were causing that type of drop-off. With Irving, like 54 games out of 72, yeah, it's not great, but he was so much better than where he was drafted that he beat his mark on a per-game by a ton and by totals by almost a ton. But the question is, does anybody care? Do fantasy players care that Kyrie Irving was far, just blew his ADP out of the water per game and totals, or does the world continue to only care about Kyrie Irving, the non-basketball player? Because look, let's admit, whatever reasons may lie behind some of the things he does, they rub basketball fans the wrong way. I'm not here to tell you whether or not we should care about that stuff. Actually, honestly, we shouldn't care uh, what the reasons are for when he disappears. Like, if he missed a week to go to his sister's birthday party, it's annoying, but you just build that into your handicap. If he misses a week to fight for social justice, okay. 
Build it into your handicap. I don't care how you feel about any of those things. You guys know how I do, but that's not what this podcast is about. I'm not here to espouse anything, good or bad. Actually, I am. I'm here to espouse that you should understand Kyrie Irving's going to miss 15 ball games. And if he gets drafted in the second round again, he'll beat his ADP. That's where we're at with Kyrie Irving. He is so good in so many categories. He's basically a nine-category player. I mean, he almost averaged a block a game this year. He was as good as most forwards in shot blocking this season. The only thing where he wasn't as good as forwards, I mean, he was plenty good. Like, he was as good as guards in all of the guard-friendly categories. He was better than most forwards in everything else except rebounding. He was at five. If he got to six, he would have beaten the forwards too. That's crazy. KD is similar, by the way, although... Because they flip, KD's better at shot blocking and Kyrie's better at at grabbing steals. It doesn't quite line up to make KD a nine-category guy. But really, like, all three of the Nets' superstars turned themselves into nine-category fantasy players. Maybe eight, because Harden and Durant had high turnover marks. But that's pretty unbelievable. Good percentages. Great in some categories from those guys. Steals, blocks, assists, boards, threes, scoring... They all did it all. So it doesn't come down to whether or not they can do the fantasy stuff. It comes down to whether or not you think they're going to play 70 games or more, or even 68 games or more, and it comes down to where they get drafted. I think James Harden gets drafted inside the top five, which makes him kind of a hard sell for me. I'd like to get him more towards eight. I think Kevin Durant goes inside the top seven or eight. I'd rather get him towards the turn I think Kyrie Irving probably goes in the early second round, and that's the one of the three that I think probably beats his mark, or at least has the easiest path to beating his mark. Because if he's if he's going at like 14, then really uh, Irving only needs to play in about 66 probably of his 82 ball games to beat that marker. If Harden's going at five, he really needs to play in like 74 out of 82 games. And if Durant's going at eight, he probably needs to play in about 70 out of 82 games, and I don't think those guys get to those two numbers. I don't think any of these guys tanks you the way that Harden and Durant did this year. Like, I don't think that any of them go through this type of season again. KD was coming back from these massive injuries, so they were kind of going easy on him. He looks like he's pretty much got his feet underneath him again. Harden was wildly out of shape. Kyrie is Kyrie. He's just, this is how many games he's going to miss. He's the one that is probably pretty similar year over year. Harden and Durant will play in more games next year. Problem is that, again, these two guys are so flashy, so spectacle-y, also known as spectacular, that they will not drop in rankings despite how few games they played this most recent year. And that is your Brooklyn Nets superstar breakdown, and that is your Tuesday edition of Fantasy NBA Today. Please do drop a five-star review on the pod if you're relatively new to the show. Would much appreciate it. Like, subscribe, whatever all those... What do the kids say? They say, smash that button. <laughs> Excuse me. Smash that... Uh, I don't know. This is, a, this is a pod. You're listening on the podcast app. I don't think there's anything to smash on the podcast app. I'm Dan Vespers at Dan Vespers on Twitter, reminding you guys once again that on Monday, the hoop ball draft guide, the first iteration of it drops and prices go up 
on Monday, but you still have six days to get last year's prices on our monthly subscription plans and keep them forever. That's the HoopBall loyalty program. Sign up for any of our subscriptions, or if you're already on it, just leave it on. Sign up for any, leave it on. You can keep last year's prices forever. Fantasy Pass, Wager Pass, HoopBall 360, they are all locked into last year's prices for six more days. Go to hoop-ball.com, click on the premium tab, and get yours today. Again, if you already have it, do nothing. That means you're already in the loyalty program. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. We'll continue our Atlantic Division Tour tomorrow as we continue the week on Fantasy NBA Today. So long, everybody! This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.